So as we kick off Christmas Eve, there's a word that I feel like we talk about, even Trace alluded to it as well. It's a word that comes up every time we get into holiday season mode. It is the word pace. Say pace with me. Pace. One more time. Pace. That word pace, for some of you, it is Christmas and there is just magic in the air. And some of you saying that word pace for you is, this is a time for us to just slow down. You get to look at all the lights and you have this in, intentional family time and you just walk through the Christmas season just with such a slow intentionality. Like you're not doing it just to be slow. You're doing it so you don't miss things and, and you're a good planner so that you can slow down and you just soak up the Christmas season. That is some of you. Some of you I see nodding. Some of you are real stressed out that I even said the word slow. So for the other group of you. That word pace does not mean slow. That word pace means a hundred miles an hour fast. That means we have a lot to do and not a lot of time. It is a short season. So we have to get it all done as soon as possible, as fast as possible. That means now. And the fact that you're even at church today speaks volumes because there's so many other things that you have to do and you have to get done. So you have this fast-paced group of you, and then you have this slow-paced group of you. And I would be willing to say that I don't think either one of those is, this is not a right or wrong thing. Now, some of you would fight me on that. It's like, no, no, my way's right, whatever. There's not really a right or wrong until we have to be on the same road together, until we have to go to the same stores together, until we have to interact with some other pace person that lives in my house Right? If, if you are a fast-paced person and you happen to find yourself driving down Highway 400 behind somebody that is just going slowly, taking their time to look at all the wonderful and beautiful Christmas lights, you're going nuts inside and probably outside at some point. Right? This morning even, some of you, I don't know if you know, you see all like the kids in PJs and stuff today? We do that because of that word. It's not because we think we have a really fun kids ministry. It's because we know parents how it goes Sunday morning. You have a pace that says we need to get out of the door at this time. And the kids are just now rolling out of bed. So we said, let's make it easy on you, mom and dad. You don't have to worry about anything else. They're going to roll out of bed. They're going to have PJs on. You're going to take them to church. And we are going to actually celebrate the fact that I have PJs on today. We'll make a big event about it. It all comes down to that word pace. Regardless where you fall into that category, chances are great that you have been, will be, and will continue to be frustrated by the people of the other pace. Let me ask you this question. This is the question I want to have in your head the rest of today. Based on your pace, because people are not going to meet your expectations. They're never going to go as fast as you want them to go. They're never going to uh, go as slow as you want them to go. So let me put this question up. What happens to your joy when your expectations are not met? When somebody doesn't match your pace, when you're trying to go fast and get things done and somebody else just moseys on beside you or behind you, what does that do to your joy? If you're trying to slow down and enjoy the season and somebody walks super fast right next to you and shoulder butts you, what does that do to your joy? When you're trying to move and get things going and the kids just won't match your pace, your expectations aren't met, the question is what happens to your joy? Most likely, we all recognize that our joy gets stolen away in those moments, don't they? We allow the other people around us, we allow the situation of the world and our lives to steal that joy away. 
And what I want us to see as we go through not just the Christmas season, but as we go through the Christmas story, we're going to see that the Christmas season is intended to be full of joy. Not just the Christmas season, but the life of a Christian, a follower, believer in Jesus should be full of joy. So if we know our expectations are not going to be met all the time, if we know that people are not going to always match our pace, how do we find joy and keep joy? Not just in a holiday season, but through the rest of our lives as a believer. That's what we want to look at. Because again, what happens to your joy when your expectations are not met? The story we're going to look at today is in Luke chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, be there. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see the verses on the screen, but we've got a bunch of Bibles right out in the lobby. Grab you a Bible. That's yours. That's our gift to you. As we go through the story today, it might feel like that's not part of the Christmas story, right? Because what we're going to read technically is before Mary and Joseph. It's before Gabriel even tells Mary that she's going to have Jesus. It's before the shepherds. It's before the wise men. It's before all the characters that are in your nativity scene, but very much... This story has a lot to do with the Christmas story. It just comes before the rest. So this story we're going to look at is about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Be looking for joy, but also be looking for the expectations, and specifically when expectations are not met. Here's the story, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. If you know your Old Testament history, Aaron, that's like Moses and Aaron. So like this is a very famous family line. Moses and Aaron, she comes from Aaron. Verse 6, Zechariah, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Verse 7, though, here's the tension. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So here's the tension Right? Here, here's the expectations not being met. We read about the, this incredible, if you want to call it a resume, of Zechariah where they're from the right family. He's a priest. They are righteous in God's eyes. Even this line in verse, this uh, part in verse 6, they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They walked with the Lord daily, consistently, faithfully. Like you read that and you're like, man. If anybody deserves to get what they want from God, it's them. It's Zechariah and it's Elizabeth. But then the tension is they don't have kids and they wanted kids. They were unable to have children because she, she was unable to conceive. So they were unable to have children. And not only unable to conceive, it seems like that's long gone. Like they're both very old. So like that ship has sailed. There's just not a possibility. It's not in the cards. It's not the hand that they've been dealt. It's not going to happen anymore. And again, let's go back to the original question. What happens to our joy when our expectations are not met? I wonder the struggle they went through. Because so often we approach God with, for honest, a little bit of a deserving mentality where we might say, God, look at everything that they've done for you. They've been righteous. They've followed your ways. They followed all of your commands, all of your regulations. He's a priest. Like, look, if anybody deserved to get their prayer answered, it'd be them. But we have to understand that our relationship with God is not a negotiation. It is not a, God, here's what I did for you, so what are you going to do for me? It's not a, God, here's, I've obeyed all your commands, I've obeyed all your regulations, God, I've done the right things, so now give me what I want. It doesn't work that way. So what happens to our joy, what happens with our joy, when we do the right things and we don't get the right results we want? We're doing the right things, 
but the results are not what we had been praying for, hoping for, wanting, expecting, or thinking we even deserve. Here's my, here's my assumption, and I'm making a little bit of assumption in, as I read Zechariah's life, but I think this could be true, is that there's joy in obeying God no matter the outcome. Because we see, even though that God continued to tell them, no, we'd like a child, no, we want a child, no, please, we want a child, no. And even though God's answer in this time of their life was no, they continued. I go back to that verse I read earlier. They were careful to obey all the Lord's commands. They didn't stop and say, you know what? God, until you show up and until you do something for me, I'm not going to do anything for you. Their obedience was not contingent on God doing what they wanted God to do. Again, it's not a negotiation. So for us, especially in this Christmas season, a, a, a season where expectations are usually not met, where paces usually don't match up, how do we find and keep our joy? Well, we find joy and we recognize that there's joy in obeying God, even when the outcomes aren't what we would want or even hope for and even pray for. And then the story continues. Notice what happens next here in verse 8. We get a glimpse into Zechariah's kind of everyday life. So they're obedient no matter the outcome. They find joy in following God because they love him, not for what he gives them. Verse 8, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. That was his job as a priest. So he's doing his everyday job. While he was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. He was on the schedule. As was custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. If you know anything about the temple, this is like the Holy of Holies. So it's like the innermost part of the temple. Uh, and he got chosen that day to go into that section to perform a specific job. Verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now look at verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, and that, key, that word there, while, is a key, key word. We're going to talk a lot about it. While he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, as angels always do when they approach humans, humans tend to freak out when they see angels, the famous line, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. But look at this next part. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. Now, real quick, I told you this, was, this is part of the Christmas story that comes before Jesus, Jesus' birth. So this is John and his parents that are receiving this news. Uh, John, who will grow up to be, as we would call him, John the Baptist. And you're going to see John the Baptist's role, why he was so important, and why he's part of the Christmas story. We're going to see that here in just a little bit. But I want to go back to that one word. What was the big word I told you to remember? While. While. And that's why this is so big. Typically, our bend is when we don't get what we want we just get stubborn, don't we? Right? I mean, you see this in, in kids all the time, right? It's something that they have to grow out of. It's something that we have to help them mature in is even if you don't get your way or the way that we teach our kids is you get what you get and you don't. Man, we, we went to the same preschools, <laughs> right? It's the same idea, right? And, and so what we tend to do is we withdraw, or we isolate, or we get stubborn, we dig our heels in, and if we don't get what we want, we're done. But what I love about the story of Zechariah here is he continued to do his everyday job. This goes beyond just obedience. This is, I'm going to wake up the next morning, and I'm going to serve my Lord. And even though I'm not getting the answer that I want, I will still serve. Zechariah continues to serve 
faithfully, not just with obedience, but with a servant's heart. That every day is a difficult thing sometimes, right? The monotony, the mundane. And at some point, you start to feel like you lose purpose, potentially. Like, why am I doing this? Why even bother? What is it amounting to? What good is it doing? Like, those are those lies that begin to sneak into your mind and your heart. And what we see with Zechariah is this steadfastness where he continued to serve the Lord in his everyday job. And that word, while, is so important because it's not while he was in the back saying, God, where are you? It was while he was just performing his priestly duties. It's while you're in the midst of serving your family that God shows up. It's while you're in the midst of showing up on another Monday that God shows up. That every day can steal our joy. So what do we learn from Zechariah? Is that there is joy in serving no matter the situation. No matter the situation, might even say no matter the season. It's hard to serve when you're serving from a place of, I'm not getting my prayers answered. Like that's a hard place to serve in, right? We become very self-centered and self-focused. Why should I serve somebody else? Why should I serve? Why should I do anything else if, it's not, if I'm not getting taken care of? But Zechariah's mindset is completely different. It was while he served, God showed up. Now, I love how God showed up. Through the angel, he didn't immediately jump to your prayers have been answered. Do you remember what the angel said? He said, God has heard your prayers. Yes. Man, please, please hear this. Don't just blow past that. We want to hear God say, oh, your prayers have been answered. Congratulations. Like a game show. Come on down. Here's your prize. Like that's what we want to hear. That one line, God has heard your prayer, doesn't offer much yet, does it, for Zechariah? He's like, well, you've heard it. Great, what are you going to do about it? I love that the angel said, even in your suffering, even in your season of difficulty, God has heard you. So let me just say this. There's probably a couple people that need to hear this one. In the season that you are in today, you feel like God is not listening you feel like God is not answering because it's not the answer you want. Can I encourage you to keep serving, keep moving forward with him because he hears your prayers. You may not be getting the answer you want, but he hears you. I think that's what the angel, before the miracle, the angel wanted Zechariah to understand. God hears you. He's listening to you. He is not deaf to your prayers. He is not ignoring you. No, it hasn't been the timing you want. No, God has not met your expectations. But God has been listening and hearing to you. So once again, the question, what happens to our joy when God does not meet our expectations? Here's the next part. Now the, the angel begins to give a little bit more details. And as I read through this, I want you to listen for how many times you hear the angel say the word will, talking about what will come. So he said, God's heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now listen to all the will statements. Verse 14, you will have great joy. There's our joy. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, Old Testament prophet. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That's Jesus. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Do you hear all the wills? There's 10 just in those few verses. 
Notice what the angel is doing for Zechariah here. He's saying, you're going to have so much joy. You're going to have so many reasons to rejoice because look at what is going to happen. Look at what will happen through this son, John, of yours. He will do this and he will be this and he will prepare for this and look at what's going to happen because of him. But that's not for today. The angel is talking in the future sense. He's saying it's not right now. This isn't going to happen overnight, but look at what will happen, but take joy today because of it. We just finished a series on James last month, if you were here. And in the very beginning of James' letter to these Christians, he said a very famous phrase. He tells us to consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of every kind which doesn't really sit very well with us. What do you mean take joy every time I face a difficulty? But then James continues and explains why. He says, take joy in all of those trials and difficulties because those difficulties are going to do something down the road. They are going to grow you. They are going to prepare you. They are going to equip you. They are going to enable you in your faith. So you're gonna have joy today because of what will happen later on. The angel's saying the same thing to Zechariah. Choose to have joy now because of what will happen later. Choose joy today because of what God is promising down the road. Now, again, this is a very specific promise for Zechariah, for Elizabeth, and John. So we can't take these promises, obviously. But there are plenty of promises within God's word that are intended for us that don't speak just to today, but also speak to the future. So we choose joy today, not because today is the greatest day in the entire world. We choose joy today because of his promises and what he will do. For example, God will walk with you every step of your life. He will always be with you. So I choose joy today, even when I don't feel like it, I choose joy because I know he will always be with me. God promises that he will work all things for his purpose for his good and his glory. So even though situations might seem very difficult, I'm gonna choose joy because of what God will do with those situations later on. God will forgive you. God will always love you. God will give you grace. He will give you mercy. So I choose joy today, not just because of what I'm dealing with, but because of what he will do. It speaks to the future. See, bottom line, up until this point, we have to be able to separate our joy from other people and other things, right? Because again, people are not always gonna match your pace. I used to say that, man, life would just be so much easier if everybody did whatever I wanted them to do all the time. No problem. As long as you match my pace, we're good. As long as you meet all my expectations, no problem. The problem is that never is going to happen. So if those expectations will not always be met, if people will not always match your pace, we have to disconnect our joy from other people. We have to disconnect our joy from the situations around us or else every time somebody doesn't match your pace or meet your expectations, you have no joy. Every time a situation goes sideways, then you lose your joy. Instead, that's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're called, the way we're called to live. We're called to have joy every day, to choose joy because our joy is coming from something much greater than just the people around us and the situations around us. And that's what we're gonna see next. So Zechariah has done a great job just being obedient even when he's not getting what he wants, to faithfully serving even in the everydays, finding joy in obedience and in serving, choosing joy for what will come. But then he messes this one up. 
Like so far, this has been a good, a, a good role model for us to follow. Like, yes, we should have joy more like Zechariah until we get to this part. This is where we, do what he, we, we don't do what he did. Notice what happens after the angel tells him all these great things about John. Zechariah messes it up. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Not the right question to ask Zechariah. Not the right question. You got an angel of the Lord physically standing in front of you. And your first question is, are you sure about this? Can I get this in writing? And then let's have a, like, he second guesses the angel. He doubts the angel. He says, how can I be sure this will happen? And then he taps into his own logic. Oh, we do this with God often. God, I hear your promise. Sounds awesome. How are you going to pull that off? Because according to my calculations, like that's how it begins to sound as we bring our rationalization and our logic into the equation. That's what he does here. How can I be sure this, is ha- this will happen? Because look, I'm an old man now and my, <laughs> I love this, and my wife is also well along in years. Even in the presence of an angel, he was careful with his words. He's like, I don't know who's going to be listening to this, but I am not going to be stuck saying, and I called my wife old. <laughs> There's a whole nother lesson there. But men, if you want to play with fire and call your wife old, that's the way to do it. I don't think you should do it at all. I think you leave it alone, but regardless. All right, back on track. Do you see what happened when he pulled his logic and reasoning into it? Gabriel, angel, this sounds awesome. I don't know how you're going to pull this one off. I mean, I'm old. She's really old. This isn't going to work. His doubting, his unbelief, his lack of faith, his lack of trust is going to impact his joy because the angel gets a little bothered by this, which is understandable at this point. Gabriel responds, verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I mean, can you just picture this scene? Like it gets brighter. The angel gets a little bit bigger. I mean, you can just feel Gabriel a little bit bothered here. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. Man, that's like, I'm my bad. I didn't mean to say any of this. Sorry, but Gabriel's not done. There's a consequence here. Verse 20, but now since you didn't believe, there's the key word, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. In other words, since you've had an issue with God's timing, since you've had a little bit of unbelief, I'm gonna continue my lesson in your faith, trust, and pace. Zechariah, that hits a little too close to home, doesn't it? Because you didn't believe, because you're still worried about your own pace and your own timing and your own plan, let me help you understand a little bit more. So, and this happens, if you keep reading through chapter one, Zechariah is unable to speak till the moment John was born. There's a beautiful, beautiful song that, that Zechariah writes. If you keep reading through, it'll be the very end of chapter one. It's beautiful. He writes it to the people around him and he actually speaks to his son, John. It's very beautiful. Read it a little bit later on. But here's what I want us to pay attention to here. I said, disconnect our joy from other people. We can't let other people um, influence our joy. We have to disconnect our joy from the situations around us. We cannot allow the situations that go up and down, good and bad, to impact and influence our joy. Our joy must be rooted in something greater. And we just saw the angel speak to it. Our belief, our faith, our trust. 
That's where our joy truly comes from. Not from how well our life goes, not because everybody meets our expectations or matches our own pace. It's not because we get what we want, when we want it, the way that we ask for it. Our true joy comes from God. Love a commentary that wrote it this way. Let me read it word for word. I think it's beautiful how they wrote this. Commentary wrote uh, regarding our joy and trust said, quote, our joy in God is bound up with our trust in God. The two cannot be separated, not ever. Trust is the backbone of joy and joy is the outflow of trust in the one who is fully trustworthy. See, unbelief evaporates our joy. It's not the people around us. It's not our situations. It's not our circumstances. It's our trust. Flip that. The more we trust in him, the more we trust God, the more joy we will find and hold on to. Because being full of joy, and again, we're not just talking about Christmas season. The life of a Christian, being full of joy, comes from fully trusting in God, period. That's where that joy comes from. That's where we find joy, and that's why we are able to hold on to joy, even in difficulties. We can hold on to joy even in struggles. Hold on to joy like Zechariah and Elizabeth even in the midst of what we would call unanswered prayers. Being full of joy comes from us fully trusting in God. How does that hit you? Like as we say that, because so often we want to point fingers at other people. Well, I don't have joy because of them. In this story, the early part of the Christmas story points that back to our heart. If you want to experience joy, if you want to hold on to joy, do you trust in him? Psalm chapter 28, verse 7 speaks to this same idea. We're told from the psalmist, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my, you know, let's read this together. I think this will be helpful. Let's read this together. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. I love that. My heart, I trust in him. And because my heart trusts in him, and my mind trusts in him, and I trust in him in all things and in everything and in every way, now the byproduct of that is that my heart is filled with joy. This ha- that, that, that passage has nothing to do with other people, expectations, pace, situational circumstances. It's all about, I have joy because I have trust. And the more I trust, the more joy. And the less I trust, the less joy I begin to have. I started with a question about expectations and joy. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Let this question sit with you for a moment. And please don't answer too quickly. Like, let this one rest with you. Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? Because we're quick to say, I'll follow God and I trust God. Great. But what, when he, what about when he doesn't match your pace? When you're trying to go fast and God's slowing down. Or when you're trying to slow down and God's trying to speed you up. What about that prayer that you keep praying and God's like, not yet. Or just flat out, no. I hear you, but no. Even in the midst of it, just like Gabriel told Zechariah, God hears your prayers, but he's not answering them the way that you want to be answered. Will you follow a God that does not live up to your expectations? Can you follow a God 
that does not live to meet your expectations? It's a harder question. Since we're in the Christmas season, not only do we want to, you know, obviously we're going through the Christmas story, there's another really good Christmas story that I need to read from. It is not scriptural. This is not the word of God. This is not the truth of God, but I think it's very helpful. So I'm sure most of you know the story of the Grinch, right? I, I will make that assumption. If not, just go watch the movie. I mean, good grief. I mean, read the book, watch the movie. But just to be on the same page, the Grinch hates Christmas. Everybody in Whoville loves Christmas. So the Grinch has this great idea to try to steal Christmas by stealing all the trees, the lights, and the presents, and so on. So he does that. He steals everything from everyone, expecting the Who's to wake up in the morning. And instead of them singing, he's expecting them to all be crying, boo-hoo, right? You know the story. But instead of them boo-hooing, what does he hear? He hears all the who's in Whoville gathered together, and what are they doing? They're singing. Yes, they're still full of joy, and he can't figure it out. So this is the part I'm going to read where he's puzzled. He's not understanding why the who's can have joy when they lost so much. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, do you know it, means a little bit more. There's so much truth in that. That yes, Christmas means so much more than just the things around us. The joy of Christmas is not from something. The joy of Christmas we have is because of someone and only one, Jesus Christ. And when he entered this world, we are now able to have joy because our joy is not circumstantial. It's not based on expectations and pace. It is based on our trust in him and of him. I would hope that maybe during the Christmas season, you might reframe really what the Christmas season is all about. Of course, we celebrate Jesus' birth, but even more so, Christmas is the time that we intentionally remember that God kept his promise, that he kept his promise. Christmas proves that our God is faithful. It proves that he is trustworthy and deserving of our, all of our trust. Because when he gave us his son, Jesus, he made good on a promise to save us from our sins that could only happen through Jesus. So he is trustworthy. Will you trust him? Will you trust a God who does not meet your expectations? I want to talk just briefly to kind of probably two categories that you would fall into this morning. The first one would be people that, that you would say, man, I want to trust I think I might trust. Like you're, you're still in that part where you're not sure what to do with, with this relationship with Jesus. And let me just say that word. It's about a relationship. It's not a transaction. It's not a, I said a prayer, I raised my hand, or I like did something. It's No, it's in my heart. I said, Jesus, I trust you with my entire life. I trust you as my Lord and as my Savior and as my King, and I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my King. It's not a transaction. You might even find yourself in a place where you feel like God is not listening to your prayers at all. 
you've been asking, you've been asking, you've been trying to do all the right things, expecting God to do something in return. I want to give you a different way to think about your prayers. We ask God a lot of prayers, and we're listening for answers. Can I encourage you to maybe tune your ear to not listen to an answer, but to listen for another question? Throughout the Gospels, if you were to study Jesus' ministry, a lot of people asked Jesus a lot of questions. He didn't give that many answers. Do you know what he did a lot of the times? Let me answer your, let me give your, answer your question with another question. And he responded back with a question. So as you're asking God questions, instead of listening for an answer, being upset that you don't get an answer, listen for a question. What question is God asking you based on your question to him? Now, I don't want to put a thought or a word in your mind. You answer that for yourselves. I'll tell you what it is for me often. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? God, you don't understand, like, this is what's going on, and I need you too. Yes, Brian, I hear you, but do you trust me? Of course I trust you, but God, I just need you to show up in this specific way, and I need you to answer this. I hear you, but the question I'm asking, Brian, is do you trust me? But God, you don't understand what this is like. Do you trust me? You don't know, do you trust me? What if God is asking you a question? Do you trust me? For those of you that honestly and not in a prideful or a boastful way, you say, no, I do trust the Lord. Man, my life shows that. Again, not in a prideful or an egotistical or a boastful way, can I encourage you to be a light that glorifies God? That as you trust in him, your life is gonna look totally different. People are gonna come up to you and say, why are you so happy all the time? Why do you have joy all the time? Why doesn't these things bother? Why aren't you bothered by all of this other stuff? And you say, because my joy is not based on them. My joy is not based on that. My joy is based on my trust in Jesus Christ. Allow your life, as Jesus would say, to be a city on a hill, a light that points back to the Father so that other people see your good deeds, your life, and give glory and praise to him. So maybe you need to answer that question, do you trust him? Maybe you need to continue to be a light in a very dark world. Either way, are you willing to trust and follow a God who will not meet your and my expectation? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being trustworthy. when microphones don't meet your expectations. You keep praying. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thankful, thankful. We are thankful for the trust that we can give to you. That we recognize that nothing we do will earn us or deserve us anything from you. You've given us enough, more than we deserve. Father, thank you for filling your promise through Jesus that it's his birth that proves your faithfulness, proves your love, proves that you are good on your word and proves that you are trustworthy. So God, let's not make our joy contingent on our expectations being met or our pace being matched. May our joy be rooted in you. May our joy be rooted in our trust of you. So Holy Spirit, prompt us, convict us, change our hearts so that we would trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen.